Thank you for tuning in to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave. We really appreciate you having here again. I'm Evan. You're Dave. He's James. Welcome back. We really appreciate it. Make sure to find us on Instagram at the Restoration Podcast, as well as on our Gmail at the Restoration Podcast at gmail.com. You can always find us there. We're always willing to answer your questions, and we love to see what you guys are up to as well. Welcome back, guys. Happy to be here again talking about some interesting topics. Let's get it going. What do you guys have for us today? So today we're going to be talking about wire wheels, the most, the ultimate restoration tool. Anything that can be fixed or made pretty again requires wire wheeling. Am I right, fellas? Am I right? Absolutely. Sure. For sure. 100%. You know, it's, it's fantastic. You know, you get that new project in the shop. It's covered with crappy old paint. It's got rust on it. And for really, really cheap, you can go out to Harbor Freight or wherever you need to go to get wire wheels and knock that paint off, knock that rust off, and you can basically get down to good, usable metal again and get that thing ready for paint in a very, very short period of time. You know, whatever you happen to be doing, painting it, stripping it down for, for oil or uh, some other uh, natural finish. There's a lot of things you can do with just a simple wire wheel. It doesn't require chemicals. doesn't require any, you know, harmful strippers. You just get in there with the wire wheel, and you're ready to go. So I, I think it's a wonderful tool to have. And a, a very cheap investment to get you going in the restoration world and working on these projects. Yes, it is absolutely pure power in your hands. There's so many different ways that you can run a wire wheel. We're going to jump into that, um, but let's take a quick, quick step back. If you if you don't have any power tools, you're a purist and you live out in the middle of the woods. A wire brush will get you in the same does the same kind of work that a wire wheel will do, but with no power, it's going to take you 10 times longer to do anything. It's the, the hand brush, the hand wire brush has its place in restoration. But today we're talking about the powered aspect. Absolutely. That's a good, that's a good point there, there, Dave. You need to have that hand brush just in case, you know, you know, you get a tight spot or something uh, requires, you know, maybe a, a more gentle approach. You know, sometimes there's wire wheels that are whipping around at several thousand RPMs and they can, they can do some damage if you don't do it correctly. So having that, that hand brush can definitely save you some time and aggravation at the end if you mess something up and, and you, you don't want to deal with that. So having the hand brush is a great thing. James, take us into the different uh, some of the different ways we can drive one of these wire wheels. Um, okay. So there's, uh, there's, there's probably two main uh, power sides to this. You could either go electric motor or you go air-powered. Um, typically you'll find angle grinders, die grinders, uh, actually I take that back. Angle grinders are, are more than likely being powered by electric motor, um, die grinders, uh, which Dave will share his recent experiences with that. Uh, you can find a plethora of options in both air and electric power. Um, that's going to be your two working mediums. I would say if you go down the air power tools, the tools themselves are a lot smaller, but I would recommend having a strong uh, compressed air system. Usually they need 90 PSI and quite a high CFM. So if you've got a little pancake compressor, that thing's going to be humming along with you. If you yeah, it's just not going to cut it. Yep. You know, significant durations. Yeah. 
So uh, if you want to go the air route, the, that's why you see folks investing in a larger compressors. They are really nice. It is really nice to have like die grinders that are, you know, a pistol grip, not, not too heavy if you're doing hours and hours of work. But there's always lots of options for you to consider. Um, besides angle grinders, die grinders, the other options you can go with are if you're trying to get into small spaces, I like to use Dremels. Dremels, Dremels are great. I love my Dremel. Yeah, Dremels have a lot of attachments. If you're trying to go really ag aggressive, you can get sanding options. Um, they've got little wire wheels as well. You can also get into polishing and buffing, uh, really soft stuff into some small spaces. So depending on what you're trying to clean up, what it's uh, potentially going to get painted with or sealed with, or even just as the, the final show, if you're trying to get nooks and crannies of model numbers or label plates, uh, sometimes that, uh, that tiny aspect of the spinning tool is such benefit. Um, there are other options where you can go and um, mount it to get a little bit more force into your piece. So you can talk about drill presses or even modifying um, angle, I'm sorry, modifying uh, bench grinders. There we go. Got the words. Yep. Got the words. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So modifying a bench grinder can get the work done. Usually that involves taking the uh, bench grinder stone shields off. And so whenever you're modifying safety equipment, you got to be careful. But you can put a nice big. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but but James, you know, talking about that, that's, that's a great differentiation to make because there are you know the angle grinders where you plug it into the wall and you hold it in your hand. And, you yep. know, if, if there are anybody out there who haven't haven't used these tools before, um, there are a couple different ways you can do it. So you have the model that you hold in your hand and you plug into the wall and you can put your, your wire wheel or what have you, your sanding disc on the end of that. But then there is also the bench grinders that, you know, they, they usually mount to a workbench or some other sturdy uh, place. And you can put different wheels and stones on them that do the same exact thing. Now, what I've found in my restoration time is that both of them are equally as valuable. It just depends on what you're doing. So when I have larger pieces that I either are very heavy and I can't move them uh, very easy, I bring the grinder to them because it's easy to run an extension cord and I can use the angle grinder on the piece as it sits. If I have small things like hardware, handles, you know, things I can bring to the grinder, I have my bench grinder that has a wire wheel on it as well and those work great because you can spin it around you can hit all the different angles sometimes with a with a regular angle grinder that plugs into the wall you, you kind of find yourself especially the ones that have the handle you want to hold it a certain way and it, it sometimes gets in the way of what you're trying to do and you can't reach a certain spot with the bench grinder i found that you can flip it around you can hold it almost any way you want and there's a way to get to every space that you have to get to so um if you have the, the means to have both of those options, I think it's a great thing to have because having the capability for both your stationary grinding as well as mobile grinding uh, to bring it to the piece is, is great to have. Without a doubt. And, and one thing to think about too, angle grinders um, in, the, in the mobile wire wheel option that we're talking about as far as power tools go, everybody at home, whether you're, whether you live in an apartment or you live in a, live in a, a garage like we do, <laughs> You, you've got a power drill. Everybody's got power drills. Yep. And I think a lot of people forget about that when they're going, maybe doing their first restoration. You don't necessarily need to go and spend money on an angle grinder if you don't have one right at the gate. They make a lot of uh, wire wheeling attachments for your power drill. And those are fantastic. I think there's a lot of times when I even use that 
um, for getting inside of boards and stuff like that, like getting the, the rust out of the inside of a uh, like a pipe, because those are sm- usually smaller, you know, round uh, wires that protrude 90 degrees off the shaft that you can get into a small space and clean out from the inside using like a like a like a drill. Absolutely. Uh, and going as far as uh, going back to uh, fixed options like like a bench grinder. Personally, I've switched over from using a bench grinder with a wire wheel attached to it to using a uh, a drill press with a with an arbor mounted in the chuck, and that arbor holding a wire wheel, and that's really fantastic for when you like uh, like Evan said have to use smaller parts that you can bring to the to the wire wheel as opposed to uh, carrying the grinder in your hand. Yeah, and having having those power drills with with those attachments, one just like Dave said. It you know almost everybody has a drill available to them, and there are more expensive angle grinders that you can buy that do have a variable speed option. Mm-hmm. But most of them that you come across are either off or they're on. They're either full speed or they're not going at all. And sometimes, for depending on the work you're doing or the material that you're working with, you want to have that variable speed option. If you have a drill press, sometimes well, a lot of times it has. Um, different uh, diameter pulleys that you can change the speed on but the nice thing about having a hand drill is that just by pulling the trigger to either more or less you can get it to spin faster you can get it to spin slower depending on what you're working on you can clean out areas you know that maybe a more delicate just go slower and then if you need to do some heavy duty rust or paint removal you can you know go full tilt with it um, so that it's good to have that variable speed option uh, when you're working with wire wheels, because some of them actually have to operate at certain speeds, and if you go too fast, they can come apart, or the the um, the wires actually come out. And if you're not wearing safety glasses, I highly 100%. I mean, anything that you're doing with restoration, always take safety into into a consideration. But especially when you're using a wire wheel or an angle grinder or a die grinder, anything spinning, make sure you're wearing those safety glasses because those wires come flying out. And you do not want to get one of those in your eye. That would be a bad day. Yeah, I've had experience with that. I personally wear a full face shield when I wire wheel. If I'm not using a knotted wire wheel, we'll get into the differences between the different wires later. But if I'm not using a a knotted wire wheel and I'm using the standard um, wavy uh, wires, I will wear a full face shield because even with higher quality uh, brushes, you'll find that they do come apart over time. Uh, and I, my, my jeans and jackets have been all lit up and I'm just happy. I'm not pulling them out, out of my beard as well. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on is you, you had mentioned speed and depending on different pieces or different work, you'd want to have variable speed. Uh, I get variable speed, um, in smaller jobs using my Dremel. The Dremels are really nice. They typically come with, uh, speed adjustment. But you can also consider, depending on the amount of force you need to apply, the diameter of the wire wheel itself. If you increase the diameter, the very end of those brushes will be spinning faster from the same motor. However, you have to consider that you're going to lose some torque once you start pressing into it. So if you ever, sure. hear, yeah. somebody, if you ever hear somebody pressing in and the motor bogging down, it might be that they're trying to take the uh, that motor for a little bit more torque than it's used to, and maybe that's because the uh, attachment is, is bigger than what was typically sized for that motor. So there are a lot of options. You can play a little bit with the speed of rust removal, but you got to be careful you're, you're not inflicting more damage to your tools. So having a variable speed is really nice. Yeah, I mean, just going back to the, the absolutely, is the speed is critical when you when you overclock those uh, 
those usually the bright the wire wheels have stamped right onto the body of like the, the flat metal that holds the wires together it'll have them stamped for what their max rpm is rated for uh i and just make sure that you're running uh, a, a tool that's that's not going to overpower that or overspeed that uh that setting because like i said the, the wires do come out they'll stick into your skin i've always find them in my legs and my arms and stuff um and it's not it's not terrible but it's not fun so just you know again safety emphasis uh, means a lot coming from me i i also wear a full face mask as well full face shield when i do it just so i don't you know kill myself lose yeah my for sure yeah. and if they're not going in your clothes they're going everywhere else in your garage or apartment yep. or house or whatever yeah so be mindful that you won't uh be lighting up anything else that you hold near and dear with uh shards of wires yes indeed yeah just just remember that we're even though the episode today is heavily focused on wire wheels and and methods for running those wire wheels and it, they're great for rust removal. They're great for paint removal. But there is always the chemical option. If you have something, you know, valuable or historic or it's it's very rare, please consider spending the time and, and, and the money to get those chemical options, you know, such as evaporust, simple green, chemicals like that. They're very safe for the metal. They don't hurt the metal at all. And sometimes, like I said before, wire wheeling can damage certain even though it's metal, it can it can be damaged. It can uh, round corners over. If you have a piece that maybe has some cast-in text on it, it can round the tops of that over and cause damage to your piece. So if you, if you have something valuable or, or important or sentimental to you, please consider using the chemical options. And they, they work just as well. They might just take a little bit more time. Yeah. I, I, I like what you just said there. Maybe we need to continue with that. I think we already were – we started the episode down the rabbit hole that you've made – the right decision that the wire wheel is the uh, tool of choice. But um, Dave, give give some folks some extra examples of where a wire wheel is the wrong choice. Absolutely. Um, going off more what what uh, Evan had just said. Yeah. Um, so let's say you've got something that has a good paint finish on it, and you want to preserve that that area that is being worked that has some rust around it. You come in there with a knot cup, a knotted cup style wire wheel. You are going to destroy everything down to bare metal, and you may even do some damage to the bare metal. Wire wheeling generally, I would say, is an aggressive tactic for removing uh, scale and corrosion um, in restorations where you've basically this is the kind of restoration where you pull the thing out of a field. Um, you know, if you found something at an antique shop that's not in great shape. You need to consider the level of aggression that you want to put into this piece to get it to a point where you can kind of start working on it again and building it back up. This is a wire wheeling is a subtractive process. You're going to be removing a ton of surface uh, or, or, or a ton of surface um, accumulations, whether that be paint or rust or scale or whatever. A lot of times with softer metals, you have to be very because a lot of these wire wheels are made of uh, with steel wire, so you don't want to. You'll score the heck out of any nice uh, aluminum uh, or or cast uh, magnesium surfaces. Those will get those will get chewed right up. Brass and bronze will get chewed up right by a standard wire wheel. Um, but again, yeah, we're talking about. I, I guess the better example is what to use it on. Super rusty metal that doesn't have any paint and is low on 
numbers or fine stampings or finishes that you don't want to remove. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing to don't to a thing to strongly strongly consider not using a wire wheel on, and that's machined mating surfaces. So besides uh, machined surfaces for like tabletops, uh, bandsaw tops, joiner tops, uh, where the surface finish was probably uh, sanded after it was milled, um, you want to consider any uh, two metal surfaces that were machined to slide past each other. Um, those surfaces will take that aggression and cause more pitting. And when you're when you're greasing that up later on, you're going to introduce voids that could capture uh, rust or debris later on and act as a wear point. So you want those mating surfaces to be nice and smooth. And if you need to take some rust off, I would consider uh, recommending either scra using scrapers or using um, like a random orbital sander to take the rust off before putting a wire to it. What I would say the high candidate for wire wheeling is big cast surfaces, surfaces that already have a texture that won't immediately show that circular pattern uh, pulling a brush across and are also typically fairly, uh, not porous, what's the word, um, kind of textured already just yeah. from the casting nature. That yeah. will take a beating. It will uh, gladly receive the brushes and remove the rust and paint from those voids and typically hold up to some abuse where you're not going to lose that texture unless you're really just laying into it for a while. It'll, you'll, you'll see a noticeable difference in fine, shiny metal before you remove that texture. So that's uh, primarily the external structural surfaces of bigger tools where a wire wheel uh, really isn't going to get you in much trouble. That's where I always apply it. See, I may differ with you on that one a little bit. I think we can have a quick debate on this one. A lot of times those those machine surfaces, especially like uh, sliding surfaces, like Waze, for instance. Um, and when I say Waze for that average listener, I'm talking about triangular-shaped um, sliding surfaces, for example, on a mill or a lathe, specifically a lathe. Um, but a lot of times those, those surfaces are hardened and the reason the, uh, I, I think they are able to take a little bit of abuse. I don't want to say abuse. That's not the word I want to use, but even though the, we're talking about, we can, we can talk about different, uh, different wire styles, but using a finer, like a finer, um, a finer wire wheel for that and, and going a little bit slower on a tool that you can run at variable speed, like a, like a drill. I, I would argue that it is, it's safe to do so if you do have a lot of scale on those. Uh, but, like, if you're pulling a lathe out of the, out of a field, maybe that's your move. Um, if you think you can get away with it, I mean, there's other ways of doing it where, like you mentioned, using an orbital sander or, like, a stone um, to flatten those out. But if you do have a ton of stuff going on on that where it is really bad, you might consider it just for the um, – uh, it's just such a – I don't, I don't want to say a rapid process, but it's you'll be able to get your job done in a reasonable amount of time as opposed to being there all day. I mean, you see, uh, I'll, I'll butt in real quick here, guys, because I, I'll, I'll be kind of the, the moderator here because I think you guys are both talking pretty much about the same thing. It's just whether the, the tool you're using, you can either be super heavy-handed with it or you can be light and dainty with it. And you just like everything else, you need to think about it ahead of time and, and make sure you understand the process that you're about to embark on and the piece that you're working on 
And if you if it's a nice precision machine surface, don't go in there wailing on it and pressing as hard as you can with the wire wheel because that can maybe lead to some damage. If you just need to clean it off, it'll clean it off. It might take it a little longer, but if you just go over that surface lightly with the wire wheel, you shouldn't have a problem with anything happening to it. But if you go in there and hammer down on it, you might have a good chance of causing some damage there. So it, it's all about making sure you select the proper tool firstly, but then also taking that tool and using it appropriately and not just going all the way or not doing it enough because either way can lead to unsatisfactory results. Yeah. I got to agree with that for sure. Okay. Next, next topic. I, uh, I wanted to talk about the differences between uh, the wires themselves. So the, the two biggest categories are um, knotted, as we mentioned before, as well as crimped wire wheels. And crimped wire wheels are the ones that sometimes are, I don't know if I've seen too many that are truly straight. They kind of got a waviness to them as they come out of the, uh, the attachment point to either your drill or your angle grinder. But the, the difference there really is the aggression, as we just mentioned, of, of how much work you're trying to do. Have you guys seen that people are putting giant, I think, like 10-inch diameter knotted wire wheels on the end of, um, what are they called, weed whackers? To like oh, my God. Knot. I <laughs> have not seen that. That's news to me. Oh, that sounds man. crazy. I saw, I saw an ad somewhere, and they were putting on a weed whacker, and, and they were going to town on some, like, bricks and stones for uh, – removing weeds and holy oh, crap wow. it was aggressive like against like yeah. along the building side it was removing the paint as well as all of the plants oh geez i'm sure it worked but that sounds a little sketchy to me yeah it was, it was uh, terrifying i want to restore something with a weed whacker with a with a crimped cup or a crimped uh wheel on the end like that that sounds insane wow yeah but if if you gotta if you gotta take something that can you know remove metal and make it even stronger by tying knots in all of this Yep. That stuff can really pack a punch, and that that is the difference that you should definitely never consider putting a knotted wire wheel on any surface you care about. Um, if if you care about a machine surface, or if you care about some cast in place numbering or lettering, that stuff will do a number on what was originally there. Um, the other thing to consider and you guys tell me your opinion, is the material that your wire wheel is made out of. To my knowledge, I know that they make them out of carbon steel as well as making them out of stainless steel. And I think they also make them out of brass? brass? They do. They do have brass ones. They, they use, um, uh, I think there's a name to the process. I can't remember what it is, but you heat up the metal and you wire wheel it with the brass wire wheel, and it transfers some of that brass onto the piece, and it gives it that goldish hue, that goldish color of brass. Yes. Um, there's there's a name for that, and I, I can't remember for the life of me what it is, but the, yeah, they do use that. Uh, yeah, and I think the brass uh, brushes are softer in general. So if you were trying to yeah. do something on a softer material, what you really what I was gonna get at was you really have to be careful with what the material is uh, again if you care if you don't care then it's if it's just a means to an end of removing rust that's fine but if you care about what you're doing to your surface um if you're using carbon steel on stainless or stainless on carbon steel or or brass on any steel you have the ability to deposit and what that can do is change the surface metallurgy so if you are wire wheeling a stainless steel piece 
and you're wheeling it with a carbon steel wire, you have the ability to deposit carbon steel into the surface of the stainless steel piece, which means inevitably you are messing with that surface layer of the stainless steel and going to cause an opportunity for rust to develop. And most people say, oh, stainless, it's impossible to be stainless. Um, you know, it's impossible to rust on stainless, but that's not the case uh, necessarily. And you're definitely going to accelerate rusting if you're depositing that material. So where we work, uh, I'm sorry, we, where I work, um, we handle a lot of aluminum, a lot of stainless, a lot of carbon steel, and we're meticulous to make sure that the brushes and wires and grinders don't cross-contaminate. So it's a good point. Yeah, you, you need to look out for that too. Uh, one thing I've noticed, uh, I was recently going to be doing some work on a axe head that was, uh, was restoring for a friend and I wanted to make sure that it was going to be like it was in really good shape, but I wanted to have a wire wheel that was capable of doing some rust removal on it without damaging the surface. Um, I wound up looking for a solid brass wire wheel. Uh, the more common ones that you see are brass coated brushes, where it's uh, either stainless or just regular carbon steel, coated with a with a brass outer whatever. Um, so just be on the lookout for that if you're trying to do some e either brassing, like where we were talking before, where you heat up a surface and to deposit the brass, or you're trying to work with something soft, or uh, you just want to have a softer a softer overall brush to use on your job. Uh, so let's get back. We, we were starting to go in down the line with the different types of, of wires. Uh, just a little bit more on that. The uh, the knotted wires, like like James had mentioned, are very aggressive. They tend to be made with a thicker wire, and when they twist them, it gives the actual entire twisted strand a ton of rigidity. So as that flies around and you lay into the metal with that twisted, uh, knotted, uh, thick wire, it basically doesn't give as much as a thinner, floppier wire would, and it just, just eats. It digs in. The tip of these wires are sharp. They are cut at an angle, and they just tear the heck out of whatever they're working on. And, and it's fantastic if you're working on a really deep pitted casting, um, but you don't want to use it on something that's that requires a little less yeah. uh, aggressive touch. You have to consider uh, all of these factors as far as what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. Um, now, it, like, you know, I, I know at least for me, and I, I think it's pretty much the same for you guys, where we're just, we're home, you know, hobby restorationists, where we do it on nights and weekends, and you know, we certainly don't know everything about every tool and every attachment that's available out there. I mean, I know the majority of my stuff comes from the local home center or the or the Ace Hardware down the street. And, you know, it's limited to what they have in stock there. And I, I can get the majority of what I need. But if you're out there in industry, we would certainly love to hear from you guys, especially if you're doing um, any kind of, of surface preparation or, or restoration work yourselves. What do you guys use out there as listeners on your projects or in your workplace? What products do they have? Maybe there's a different type of wire wheel that you found works really well for a certain material. We'd, we'd love to hear about it. So make sure to get back to us on our podcast at the Restoration Podcast on Instagram, as well as our email. Uh, we said that in the beginning. Make sure you hit us up there and let us know if you have a certain product that works really well for you. I got one more uh, major topic uh, that I think we need to talk about, and uh, that would be safety. What are you guys' stance on wearing gloves 
in and around wires on either like a drill press or uh, a bench grinder motor. Do you guys wear gloves with something going that fast with that much torque? Uh, uh, Dave, no, no. <laughs> I, I usually don't either. I mean, I do have the the standard guard that's on my angle grinder that it came with. And, and if I'm doing like heavy duty removal where I know chunks of stuff are going to come flying off, I usually try my best to position myself away from where that's going to be coming off as well as I have a, uh, a nice thick canvas shop apron that I wear that, you know, protects my body. I have my uh, safety glasses on. I wear a mask so I don't breathe the dust in. Uh, but as for gloves, I, I just, I'd rather, I'd, I, I would stay away from the wheel at all costs. But if I had to get my hand close to the wheel, I'd rather it not have a glove and leave a little scratch than have a glove and grab it and get it sucked in there. That's just my theory. 100%. I, I've, I've stuck my fingers into the, a spinning wire wheel hundreds of times and I still have all my fingers. I've never lost a fingernail. Usually it just, it scratches you a little bit. It doesn't usually score your skin or cut your skin. Um, I mean, I've, I, you, I work with my hands all the time, so my fingers are tough, but I don't think that they're so tough that they're anything different than the average person. Um, but I've never received any kind of injury from a, a, a spinning wire wheel. Uh, I would say uh, that's just a standard, like, uh, bench grinder style wire wheel that you might see. As far as the aggressive knotted wheels that you might put on the end of an angle grinder, I tend to, well, let's just, let me take a step back. If I'm using a workstation tool like a bench grinder or a, um, or a drill press with a wire wheel on it, I do not. However, if I'm using a, like a die grinder or an angle grinder, or even I'm working with my, one of my drills where I'm not going to be pushing my hands toward a spinning wire wheel, I'm actually holding the motor holding the drill, holding the, the die grinder, et cetera, I wear gloves um, just to be on the safe side. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It seems, it seems kind of counterintuitive now that I'm actually saying it, but that's just what I do. No. I do I do wear um, the, the, the rubber gloves, the nitro gloves, you know, like mechanics gloves occasionally, you know, if it's like greasy or, or there's surface deposits that I don't really, you know, feel like, touching very much i i do put those on but they uh they aren't kind of loose and dangly as, as like some of the workers gloves that you you might be wearing when you're when you're working on stuff so I was, occasionally i do wear those those nitro gloves they're, they're great to have around as well yeah I, I would i would be the third voice to not wearing gloves it is absolute torture being so cold out and then introducing that uh air to your your bare hands but it is well worth it to not have your glove and then your whole forearm pulled into a wire. Um, do you guys put uh, knotted brushes onto your benches, bench grinders, or your drill presses? I do not. No, I, I use the knotted wheels on my angle grinder, and then I have the uh, straight, normal-style wire wheels on, on my bench grinder. Yep, that's the same. I that, that, to me, sounds super sketchy. Uh, yeah. I don't know if i've seen someone but but that sounds sketchy to me you got to think about what you're going to be doing with the with the mobile versus the, the stationary tools when you're working on a with a mobile with a mobile motor powering a wire wheel a lot of times that's going to be for your larger heavier stuff you know that stuff's going to have potentially has it has the potential to have bigger nastier pits where you really want to really want to dig in and let the tool eat 
So then that's a great opportunity to use that knotted wheel where you're going to be doing a lot of removal, a lot of like heavy scale getting off, as opposed to those smaller parts that really don't have enough material to really get so nasty that you need to go into them with a really aggressive tool, I would say most of the time. So I think that's a better opportunity to use those those non-knotted wheels that we haven't talked about a whole lot here, where it's basically generally a bunch of really thin wheels that have a little bit of rigidity to them. But when you roll over, when you rub on them with your hands, say you patted the patted those wires down, they tend to kind of flex and move a little bit. They're softer. They don't. They aren't as aggressive. So they're for less nasty parts with just yeah. surface rust. They're great for removing surface scale, surface rust. Um, and with being a little bit softer, you, you can kind of push the part into it a little bit further to kind of get into those nooks and crannies on sort of bladder, you know, uh, parts that have some recessed areas in them. Yeah. And I know we, we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, angle grinders and bench grinders, and we, we kind of skimmed over really quick with, uh, die grinders. I know I have one that I recently just acquired. I know Dave has one that he just yeah. got. I'm, James, do you have do you have a die grinder, air powered die grinder? No, I don't. I've used a lot in the past, but I don't have a personal one. I don't have a air compressor uh, okay. large enough. Yeah, for that. yeah. See, the the thing is, is that I I also just got a a new air compressor maybe a couple months ago, and it's a 26 gallon. Um, I think it's four and a half cubic feet per minute um, air supply at 90 psi, and it's still running pretty frequently to keep up with the die grinder when I'm going all out with it. So when, if you're getting into that, I think we mentioned that if you're getting into the die grinder area, make sure your air compressor can supply the appropriate amount of air uh, that it requires so that you're not running the compressor constantly. Like I think I can get maybe three or four minutes of constant use out of my, my die grinder with my current compressor before it has to run again. Um, it's certainly nothing industrial. I mean, it's, it's just a, a Lowe's cobalt special, but it, it does the, does the job and it runs it just fine. And I haven't had any issues with it. Um, yet. What about you, Dave? How, how's your die grinder uh, supplied with air? Mine is actually, a, I, it is a electric power tool. Um, oh, right, right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. No problem. It is a DeWalt, uh, electric die grinder. I purchased it on eBay. Actually it is the DeWalt, uh, long reach die grinder. They have a couple different ones. This is, I believe the long reach one is slightly built. It's built a little heavier duty. Perhaps uh, I bought it on eBay for like 60 bucks used from government, some government surplus website on eBay or government surplus seller there. And um, it's fantastic. It runs at 1900 RPM. And the, if you're not familiar with the die grinder, perhaps you never heard or seen of a die grinder before. What it is, is basically it's a long shaft that, can, it has a collet on the very end of it, on the long end, um, and you can attach a any number of attachments. Like mine's got like a quarter inch collet, which is like a basically just a little grabber that holds a little shaft attached to whatever tool that you're running, a drill, uh, a wire wheel. They have these little like um, carbide uh, burrs. Yeah, the carbide burr bits. Thank you. Um, but it allows you to get into confined spaces and apply the use of that tool so like for as far as wire wheels go 
one of the die grinding wire wheels that I find myself most frequently using is, uh, so let's, let's talk about this. Uh, <laughs> talk about, yeah. We've talked about wire wheels that stick out to the sides of the shaft, like 90 degrees off the shaft. We talk about wire wheels that go down in a cup style. Maybe we, maybe we mentioned them um, where they, it's kind of like a round, um, a round orientation of the, of the strands that are, are parallel to the shaft. Um, I guess this would be kind of described as as um, as a cup style, where they where the wires are parallel with the shaft, pointing straight down all, along the long end of the tool. Um, but you can get into these nooks and crannies. I bought one of these that's uh, a half an inch across. It's got like a half an inch diameter of the wires, so I can get down into like a teeny tiny little recess on a part with a complicated surface and get into all those nooks and crannies where, on like an angle grinder or a drill or any of your bench grinders, you're not going to be able to get into those small spaces. You're basically skimming across the, the surface, but you can get in deep with these things. Uh, I would recommend anybody that's getting in deep with restoration, get yourself a die grinder. I, it has deep. been totally changing for me. Deep. That's deep, deep. Thoughts, for, deep thoughts from Dave. Uh, I, I would tell you that um, your, your uh, die grinder is just a more powerful uh torque version of what i accomplished with my dremel and i'm actually not using the cup yeah pretty much yep true not, not using the cup detachment but actually the flat uh kind of standard wire wheel but real small maybe only an inch or uh three quarters of an inch in diameter total and what i love to use those for is uh direct plunges into uh female threads because oh, yeah. when yep. those get gummed up there is there's no toothbrush small enough to get in there. And it's nice to have the flexibility of those wires move around the threads. And then also know that even if you can't see it, it's not going to be tearing that surface apart. Yep. Yeah, to, to that end, though, I will say, you know, it's kind of a side thought. I love running a tap through holes that are gummed <laughs> up and got schmoo in them. I love getting the tap handle out and spinning that thing in and then pulling it out. And it's got all the junk out, and the threads look beautiful again. You know, sorry, that was my that was my aside there, but I, I love that. You said it, but I was thinking it while he was talking. I was like, oh man, when that thing comes out, and the freaking uh, what do you call them? The scallops, the um, the cuts on the side of the tap. What do they call it? Why I can't? The flutes. The, the flutes, flutes yep, the yep. are filled with grease and chips. It's like, oh, 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 oh I love it. That's satis that's satisfying nature yeah. of restoration right there in so, the. That, that'll actually help me uh, transition to my final safety thing. If you're using die and tap to remove nasties out of a threaded hole, it's not going to come out with much vigor. But if you're going into it with a Dremel, be, be ready for all the air and dust to come flying back at your face. Yep, and for sure. Just, just with wire wheels in general, we were talking high energy into uh, small particulate. I can't remember who said it earlier, but wearing a, a, a dust mask, or breathing apparatus should be a given in this equation. This is some gross stuff that you don't need to be hacking up and having black boogers for the next yeah. you know, two months. Especially uh, with older items, you know, in, in the possibility of lead paint. If you yep. guys don't already, I, I suggest getting uh, lead paint testers. They look like little cotton swabs. And I'm sure there's others, but I, I've seen the cotton swabs where you um, you pop the end and it, it releases a fluid into the cotton and you swab over the paint. And if it turns pink, it, it means that there's lead in the paint. And you want to be very careful 
don't breathe that in. Don't get it in your mouth. Don't get it in your eyes anywhere. You know, take the do it outside in a well-ventilated area because lead lead paint will mess you up. And with these old tools and old restorations, that that's fairly commonplace. So you need to make sure you're you're protected from that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going into removing lead. Not only do you need to get dressed out, but you got to consider if you're going to do that in your shop, you have the potential of spreading that over everything in your shop or space too. So now you're talking contamination on everything that you might care about. So there's a lot that we're not going to go into with that regard. But please, please, please be careful and test and know what you're removing before you make a mess. Always wear PPE. I would offer one step further with that. If you do test for lead and you get a positive test, and uh, before you go into wire wheeling, you get a, a chemical-based paint stripper and strip all the paint off of that object. I would yeah. not... I would not wire wheel lead paint. It is yeah, irresponsible sure. to do so. Do not do that. There, uh, there are ways around using it with removing lead paint with a lot less energy. You have to go down to scraping methods. Some people will argue that hand brushing uh, doesn't create airborne. I would tend to not want to push that boundary. But um, yeah, you can you can wet the surface kind of like asbestos. If you wet it, it helps. But yeah, you're you're already kind of tri- tiptoeing on some dangerous lines there. So yeah, I mean we're we're not trying to be the the safety Nazis here, but safety is is very important. So make sure that you're keeping your health and the health of those around you in your shop in the forefront of your mind, and make sure you're taking the appropriate actions to uh to protect yourself and them because it it can do some damage later on, if not right away, later on. That's right. The restoration podcast. We'll restore yesterday's tool for the craftsman of today, and we want you to stick around tomorrow to see how happy it makes them. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Got to be around for that for who, sure. Who knew, guys? You know, we're on episode eight already, and I, I feel like, you know, time flies when you're having fun because I'm, I'm really enjoying this podcast, and I think we're getting a lot of good information out there, and, and hopefully we're helping people. And we, we want to thank the listeners again and again because you guys are, are making it worth it. We want to hear from you. Make sure you hit us up on our Instagram at the Restoration Podcast. You can always email us at the Restoration Podcast at gmail.com. We said in the beginning of the podcast where you can reach us individually if that's what you prefer. Um, but please share with us your experiences, your stories, the tools you use, the you know, the, and the things you're doing because we we want this to be a conversation both ways. We hope we're helping you out, and I know that you guys out there and listener land can help us out as well. So before we uh, sign off here, any final thoughts, gentlemen, anything you want to add? I, I got one thing real quick. One more safety thing that I think is really important that we, we skipped. Um, it just popped into my head. When you are running a, a wire wheel specifically on like an angle grinder, but on any kind of spinning shaft, there's a tendency that if you're not running it just right, that that tool can kind of get powerfully thrown in one direction. So when you're w- running your wire wheel, let's say uh, let's say you're running the wire wheel, the uh, they they run clockwise, say. So the bottom of that wire wheel should be kind of pushing off off the surface that you're cleaning. So the, it's hard, it's kind of hard to describe this. I'm trying to think about it in my head. So say you've got a, a square of metal in front of you, right? It's laid out in front of you, and you're holding a tool in your hand. That wire wheel is spinning. Let's say it's spinning counterclockwise. You <laughs> want to be having the tool off to, to one side so that the direction of the bottom of that wheel, as it spins around, is going 
off of the surface of that thing that you're you're on an edge, say, and you want that tool, that wire wheel to be spinning off of the surface. Now, if you have your tool and it's sitting on the um, the left side of that square that you're removing rust from, and the wire wheel is spinning in toward the the edge of the surface, it's going to throw your tool off to the left of yeah, where you're working. It grabs it. Yeah, it can get caught. The, yeah. Uh, the woodworker's analogy. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, it can be really dangerous. Um, I work in the fire department, for those of you who don't know, and I worked with, I actually met a guy, or I picked up a guy in an ambulance one day who was using an angle grinder, and he had done just that. What had happened was he had held the tool, and his tool had grabbed on the corner of a, um, of a piece that he was working on, and it, threw it into his hand and when it went into his hand it ripped the heck out of his hand i think yeah it's actually using a saw blade attached to an angle grinder angle grinders are super dangerous um but when it went into his hand he pulled the tool back and that tool went right up it, it cut him right through his groin through his male parts and up into his abdomen and he oh, was wow pretty messed up so because of the way he used the tool because of the way the tool grabbed um so make sure you get a little bit of practice using these tools because if if you do grab into the material I hope I explained that in a way that makes sense. I don't think I did. Yeah. Um, if it catches, it it's unforgiving. There, there's a low likelihood that you bog down the motor, and and a higher likelihood that it will continue in the direction after it catches. Kind of similar in the woodworking world, that you always want to be feeding your material into the blade as opposed to with the cutting uh, blade. Um, yeah. This is yep. With like with routers in particular, you want to be pushing into the blade. You want to have that mentality that understand which direction you're rotating and be able to control how you're pushing it in into each one of the surfaces. And grabbing lips and corners is the fastest way that that tool can ricochet. And I've seen uh, people at my work uh, take angle grinders with cutoff wheels and they'd ricochet right across their leg. And yeah, it, it can be a, a, a bad day real quick. Yep. Well, make some kind of infographic and put it on the Instagram account when we first uh, show notes, because that's important for real. I, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, and that—that's the one. That's one of the big ones when that when that tool flies out of your hand because you you fed the, the your workpiece wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I, I really you know appreciate having this talk uh, this evening. I think we got a lot of good points out. Um, looking forward to next week. Make sure you tune in for that. Once again, I'll say it a third time. Make sure you hit us up on our Instagram at the Restoration Podcast, as well as our Gmail account at the Restoration Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. It's been the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. All right. Adios. Hey, guys. Bye. 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 <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Uh, I want, I'm excited to talk about die grinders because I just got into screwing around with one of them. And then die yeah, grinders are sweet. Yeah, they are, dude. They're nuts. I like. I don't know how I got by with that one before. Honestly, have to put earplugs in there, dude. I about lost my brain when I was listening to that. <laughs> yeah. What are you, are you talking about? Driving a um a air powered die grinder? Yeah. Yeah. Really, never run air tools. Well, outside of the fire department, but like for shop use. How thick are your walls to your neighbors? Uh, two courses of brick. Okay, that should be good. Just hope nobody walks out in front of your door. Yeah. They'll be hearing it. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you have your kid over. (laughs) Daddy! Oh my God. Oh, don't worry. It's just my screaming child. <laughs> Take nothing of the crying child inside the garage. Yeah. He's just chained to the wall. He doesn't like it. Mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs>